You're listening to the Mindful Psychology Podcast, a podcast designed to explore mindfulness, psychology, neuroscience, and various aspects of holistic health. My name is Jen. I'm your host. I'm also a therapist, an educator, and a yoga teacher. Join me and brilliant guests as we explore various topics and offer you actionable steps so that you can be informed and intentional about your health and well-being. Now sit back, relax, maybe take a notebook out, and let's dive in. and welcome to a brand new episode of the Mindful Psychology Podcast. My name is Jen, I'm your host, and today we are joined by a very special guest, Megan. Hi, Megan. <laughs> Where are you joining us from today? I am in sunny Los Angeles, California. Ooh, very nice. And, uh, and it's not very sunny here today, to be honest, but uh, <laughs> I do love California, and I do find that we have similar, similar weather, like that dry Mediterranean type climate. Yeah. Yes. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. Um, well, I'm really glad that you got to join us today, and I'm excited to dive into this episode. Before we do, uh, why don't you tell everybody a bit about you, your work, how you got into your work, what you do, all of that. Sure. Yeah, so I'm a licensed clinical psychologist practicing in Santa Monica, California. My specialty is trauma in all of its forms. I got started um, in working with trauma because a lot of my uh, clinical training and research was in working with uh, military veterans. And so I, I worked a lot with that kind of single incident, big T trauma, and how to understand and treat that. And through the process of you know, training and developing my clinical skills and doing research in that area, I came to understand that trauma was much more broad than those kind of one-time big events. Those certainly are traumatic, but there's so many more experiences in life that count as traumas and affect people deeply that we often don't think about, aren't aware of, um, and don't appreciate as trauma. And so that really opened my eyes um, to the, the wide varieties of trauma that people experience. Um, and from there, I really developed a practice around treating the whole spectrum of trauma, everything from child abuse and neglect to um, combat, to sexual assault, to even being in toxic and abusive relationships or work environments or being the victim of certain crimes um, or having any sort of experience that is distressing and chronic. And so that's really the specialty of my practice now. That's amazing. I really love that. And I think it's also important. I mean, of course, that work is important, but I think it's also interesting to educate people a bit more about what trauma is and what triggers are, I mean, on bo for both reasons, for the for what we've come to understand about trauma and also because of how it's a very hot topic right now. <laughs> it's a very hot topic right now. It is. <laughs> yeah. So on one hand, it's kind of like some people don't think they have trauma, but they may, and it's important for for them to understand that. And so there's like there's that side of it. And then there's also people who or talk of trauma and triggers, but without actually realizing what trauma and triggers are. Um, yes. Yeah. So that's exactly. an important one. So how would you describe, okay, so obviously you've done that a little bit in your introduction, but how would you describe trauma? I really understand it as anything that overwhelms the nervous system. So as humans, we have a brain that is super adaptable, super responsive. We are very resilient creatures. 
However, we're not um, impervious to distress and overwhelm. And when our coping system and our nervous system gets overwhelmed to a certain degree, either by something that is too intense or something that is too chronic, um, I understand that as being trauma. And so obviously that encompasses the things that we typically think of, violence, sexual assault, abuse, all of those things overwhelm the nervous system um, and our coping resources, but there's also so many other experiences that don't necessarily um, fit into that strict definition of trauma that can also overwhelm the nervous system and totally deplete our coping resources. And a way that I kind of talk with clients about what constitutes a trauma is anything that happened either too much or too fast. So if something happened to such a degree that it was overwhelming to your nervous system, counts as a trauma. If it happened too fast, if you were kind of thrust into something um, before you were ready, counts as a trauma. So anything that, that violates your boundary, takes away your sense of safety, stability, and control to the point that your nervous system is overwhelmed. That's how I personally define trauma. And that helps me to understand it in a broader context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you had mentioned a big T trauma. And so for those people who are wondering what a big T trauma is versus maybe a small T trauma, how would you differentiate those two? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I like to talk about traumas as big T and little T traumas, not because big T traumas are, are better or whatever we want to think about them as, um, but because big T traumas are the things that can cause post-traumatic stress symptoms after one single incident. Um, whereas little t traumas are, are just as distressing, but they tend to be more chronic in nature, things that occur in smaller doses over time. Now, that doesn't mean that they have less of an effect on you. Our nervous system actually does not distinguish between big T and little t traumas. It, it responds to both of them the same way, um, but it helps people to understand sometimes that what they went through is traumatic just because it wasn't this one big distressing event. The fact that it happened over time or repeatedly or outside of their control means that their body was responding to it as if it was a trauma. So examples of big T traumas are those things like we talked about, combat, sexual assault, near-death experiences, car crashes, um, natural disasters, and then little t traumas are things like maybe growing up in a neglectful environment where your parents didn't pay attention to you. Was your life in immediate danger? Probably not. But over time, you come to understand yourself as unsupported and uncared for and your basic needs aren't met. Um, toxic relationships can also be little t traumas. Being the victim of sexual harassment chronically, stalking, bullying, um, racism, things that happen in a more chronic nature can be understood as little t traumas. And then again, little t doesn't mean little in the sense of the effect of it. It just means little in that there's not one big event. There's these little things that happen over time. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And I think really common questions, and, and I actually do want to speak about PTSD versus CPTSD. Yeah. Um, but yeah. before that, I think that the biggest reason why I want, like why I think this conversation is so important and why I'm so happy to be having it with you is that oftentimes we get the question like, 
well, my, my childhood didn't seem traumatic. I mean, everything was fine. I had a very happy childhood. What if I didn't have trauma? And it's like, well, you didn't have to have trauma, <laughs> but also you, you could have had and you didn't know. Or there are these questions of, well, I don't really remember much of my childhood, but what mm-hmm. I remember was fine. Um, mm-hmm. So those are really common comments slash questions that I get. Or, mm-hmm. um, or everything seemed fine. Everything was fine. Like really kind of flippant, like, which, which maybe it was, you know, I'm not saying it was, you know, but, um, and, and so what, what would you say to those types of comments or questions? Yeah. I mean, trauma doesn't only happen in childhood, right? Like traumas that happen in childhood tend to be the most disruptive because those are developmental years when we're developing internal frameworks of who we are and how to respond to others in the world around us. So those are you know, often where our mind goes when we think about trauma. And, you know, when you think over your past, you're like, oh, I didn't have any trauma. My childhood was great. My parents stayed together. They love me. They support me. That doesn't mean you didn't have trauma. It could have occurred at school. It could have occurred in friendships, relationships. Um, But that comment that you, that you mentioned of, I don't remember much, that to me is a big kind of red flag Mm -hmm. for the existence of trauma in somebody's history. If, If you have big chunks of your life that you don't remember, that to me is a signal that something traumatic might have gone on. It, it, it doesn't mean it automatically did, but that's a big indicator that there probably was mm. something traumatic. And that is how your, your brain has coped with that, has sort of uh, repressed it and pushed it out of conscious awareness so that you don't feel the emotional effects of that. But also what comes along with that is you don't remember large chunks of time. So if there's difficulty with memory and there's no other explanation for it, like a, a head injury or a dementia process or something, then to me, that's sort of a sign that there was probably some trauma. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Okay. And then what about uh, understanding how it could have happened at school? That's another thing, actually, I forgot to mention mm-hmm. is, oh, mm-hmm. can this kind of loss of a friendship, like can, can a big rift between two friends be considered trauma or can bullying at school be considered trauma? Um, mm-hmm. What would you say to that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that, those examples you just gave would fit under the little t traumas. Like certainly if you get bullied one day at school, that's a painful experience, but we wouldn't put it in the classification of of trauma. It would be more of a stressor, um, something that you're going to have to learn to cope with and navigate. But if it happens chronically and it cuts you off from your social engagement, it doesn't allow you to develop certain um, social and emotional skills. Um, it, It separates you from certain people and experiences experiences, then we can start to think about it as a little T trauma that occurred mm-hmm. over time as you were removed from these developmental experiences. And, and that's another thing to highlight about trauma is it disrupts development. Um, when you experience a trauma, particularly as a child, it gets in the way of normal development. And that's, you know, that can happen obviously through abuse, neglect, but it can also happen through bullying or the loss of a friendship. Or another common one is when a young person, a child experiences a death in the family or the death of someone close to them. So maybe mom or dad passes away, the loss of a brother or sister, um, the loss of a friend, those types of things can really impact children in a way that is understood as trauma because it, it overwhelms their coping capabilities. They don't have necessarily the capacity to process that, to understand that, and their nervous system becomes overwhelmed and a trauma process can emerge from that. Yeah, yeah, okay. And and if we start to move toward or move into the more, um, I mean, you can decide how you want to dive into that part, but I wanted to make 
people understand what actually happens in the nervous system when we're flooded or overwhelmed and how triggers are created. And then also mm -hmm. maybe we can tie this into PTSD versus complex PTSD um, and you know all that stuff. So perhaps starting with what happens in the nervous system and then how triggers are, are, are formed, like, how, like what triggers yeah. really are in the nervous system. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's a great question and so important for people to understand. So your brain, like I was saying, is, is super adaptable. It is designed to help you survive anything that gets thrown your way. And it does generally a really good job of doing that. It, it can really respond to a lot of different things quickly and efficiently, but it's not perfect. And if it gets overwhelmed, these certain changes occur in the brain, again, either through a single incident, big T trauma, or multiple chronic little T traumas. And there's two types of changes that happen in your brain. And we're going to get really sciencey and nerdy here, but this, this is my stuff. I love this. Uh, there's two types of changes that go on in your brain during and immediately after a trauma. There's structural changes and there's functional changes. So the literal structure of your brain begins to change in response to trauma as does the function. And that makes sense. If, if there's structures in your brain that have certain functions and they're changing in nature, then the function of those structures is, is also going to be noticeable as well. Um, and there's, there's lots of different um, ways that our brains respond in trauma. We could, you know, probably have a whole course on this, but the big ones that I want to talk about are the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex. So your amygdala, you can think of it as sort of like the, um, the fire alarm in your brain. It goes off when there's a threat and your brain is super good at detecting threats. That's what it's designed to do because it wants to alert you. There's something in your environment that can cause you harm. You need to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. Just like your smoke alarm does. Hey, I'm smelling smoke. You need to see, you know, did I burn the toast? Is the house on fire? What's going on? And it alerts you to to make some changes. And so during trauma, your amygdala lights up, it flares up and it's telling you emergency, emergency, respond, respond. And usually we, we do, we protect ourselves and we have these different um, mechanisms that we use to protect ourselves which is, um, you know, generally we speak of it as like the fight or flight system, um, but there's two more, which are the freeze and the fawn responses. And so our, our bodies choose between fight, flight, freeze, or fawn in responding to threats when the amygdala goes off. And I can talk about what those are in a moment, but when this happens in a chronic nature, your amygdala becomes overly sensitive because it's trying to detect threats. It's saying, okay, that happened once, it can happen again. Let me be hyper vigilant in looking for those threats so I can alert you as soon as possible. And that's why a lot of people with trauma histories have this kind of hypervigilance. They feel on guard all the time. They're super aware of their surroundings. That's your amygdala working overtime. Now, the other thing that's going on simultaneously is the, the cortex of your brain, particularly that frontal part, like right behind your, your forehead in there. That is the part of your brain that's responsible for what we call executive functioning. Mm -hmm. And executive functioning is all that higher order stuff that sets us as humans apart. So it's our complex language system. It's our decision-making ability. It's our rationality. Um, and it's a, it's a really important part of the brain for being a, a functional human. 
Um, but during a trauma, it shuts down and you go more into what we call the reptilian brain, the really basic part of your brain that is super focused on getting your basic needs met. Am I safe? Am I going to be harmed? Am I going to be okay? That becomes where your brain is oriented and the prefrontal cortex responsible for rationality and decision-making goes completely offline. So you have these two things happening at once where your amygdala is lighting up saying emergency, 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 and your prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for decision-making, totally shuts down. And so you can see how we get some really problematic behaviors and extreme responses when trauma occurs because we don't have that frontal cortex part sort of regulating the response. Um, so that's, that's kind of what's going on in your brain during a trauma. Now, after a trauma, like I said, your brain is like, okay, I was overwhelmed. I never want that to happen again. I must stay in defense mode. And it stays in that situation. So that is a super effective response to an immediate threat. It is not an effective state to be in long-term. Think about what happens when you don't have your rationality with you and you're always responding as if everything is an emergency. You're not going to make the best decisions. And that's what we see with conditions like CPTSD, which is complex PTSD. Um, in, in that situation, we have somebody who has responded to threats so much that this is the default position of their brain, which is to respond to everything like it's an emergency and to throw rationality out the window in service of getting their basic needs met. So that's really what's, what's going on largely in the brain and it, and it becomes rewired that way over time. And that's how a trigger occurs then. If, anything looks like the original trauma, it plunges you back into that system where everything is um, alerting you to a potential threat. Yes. No, that's perfect. That was amazing. <laughs> that was <laughs> a lot of information. <laughs> no, no, but that makes, that makes sense. No, it does. And I would just want to like reiterate a couple points, especially because I know that that was really jam packed. And so, so essentially what we're dealing with is that something is happening in our amygdala and in our prefrontal cortex and one is hyper-functioning and the other one is under-functioning or rather shutting down. And so that thing creates, well, something that happens when you're having a trauma. And then afterward, particularly with CPTSD or complex post-traumatic stress disorder, um, we're dealing with a chronic state of hyper-functioning amygdala or, or rather of high-functioning amygdala, but chronically. Yes, exactly hyperfunctioning okay right and then also like a lessening of the executive function of the prefrontal cortex yes yeah exactly exactly and and so with ptsd mm -hmm. what, are we seeing, what are we seeing there the same thing are we seeing it differently yeah. how is it playing out yeah ptsd is more of um an acute discrete response to trauma mm -hmm. and in order to receive a diagnosis of PTSD you have to be exposed to what we classify as a big T trauma so anything that immediately threatened your life or bodily integrity um, that's part of the diagnostic criteria is you have to have been exposed to something like that mm -hmm. and for PTSD you have to have a certain set of symptoms and all of these things are normal in the immediate aftermath of trauma for anybody. But what happens is some people get stuck in these response systems and that's what we call PTSD. And there's four different types of symptoms. And in order to receive a diagnosis of PTSD, you have to have symptoms of each. 
And those four different types of symptoms are intrusive symptoms, avoidance, negative changes in thoughts and feelings, and changes in arousal. And so I can kind of go through what each of those are. So intrusive symptoms, the classic one we think of here is, is a flashback or a nightmare. You get thrust back into the experience through, through thoughts, through feelings. Um, they're experienced as unwanted, maybe obsessive, intrusive, um, and they can happen while awake or asleep. That's a really common one that, that happens for people with PTSD and sort of what we classically think of with like the flashbacks and the nightmares. Then there's this really big piece, which is avoidance. And this is the hallmark of PTSD. There's this extreme attempt to avoid any reminders of the event. Um, so if you were, let's say, for example, you were sexually assaulted, you might then avoid all people that look like the perpetrator. And let's say perhaps it was a man that sexually assaulted you. You might go as extreme as to avoid all men because even even being around that is triggering for you. It thrusts you back into some of those intrusive symptoms. There's also more subtle ways that we avoid. We try to push it out of our memory. We distract ourselves. We keep super busy so we don't have to think about it. And the one that I see kind of most frequently is actually substance use. This is a really classic way that people avoid their symptoms. You know, if I can have a drink or smoke a joint and not have to feel those things, it's a way that people can avoid the problem. Um, and the, the, the issue with avoidance, and people always ask this, is, well, if I can just avoid reminders, then what's the issue? Well, it makes your life really small and narrow if you're constantly trying to avoid reminders of your trauma because they're everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, and oftentimes the way that we try to avoid our problems ends up creating even more issues in the long run. So if you think about the substance use example, yeah, you get immediate relief. You don't have to think about your trauma for a few hours. But then what does that do over time? You have to increase your use. It's expensive. It's often illegal. It impairs your judgment. It gets in the way of work and family, all these other things. Um, so that's the, the kind of avoidance um, symptom cluster. And then we have negative changes in thoughts and feelings. And this is all the stuff that we think about, like the classic depression and anxiety. Um, and in trauma, some really common thought patterns and feelings that people feel are um, anger, shame, um, self-blame, guilt. Um, those kinds of things often come up for folks with trauma. And then the last symptom cluster is changes in arousal. So this is a disruption in your arousal system, which we can understand if we think back to that amygdala, that fire alarm going off, thrusting you into emergency mode. And what a lot of people feel here um, is just kind of a, a hyperactivation that results in things like poor sleep or irritability or angry outbursts um, or even just hypervigilance and an increased startle response. So in order to receive a diagnosis of PTSD, you have to have um, all four of the, a symptom that reflects each of those four um, symptom clusters in response to a, uh, a big T trauma. And for most people who experience a big T trauma, you, you will have some of these in the immediate aftermath, and that's normal, and we don't call that PTSD. But when it it's prolonged and it becomes ingrained and it becomes your, your default way of functioning. That's what we call post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's an interesting distinction to make. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so then what are some ways that people can, we can start with the CPTSD or PTSD, whichever, uh, what are some ways that people can start to, uh, to heal that? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Cause that's what everyone wants to know is like, how can I get rid of this? Right. <laughs> it's just cause I'm anticipating it. <laughs> like, yeah. Hey, what do we do about it? <laughs> uh, therapy. No, but um. <laughs> um, I will say though, that therapy is the gold standard treatment for PTSD and trauma syndromes. A lot of people will come saying, okay, what pill can I take? What medication can I take to get rid of this? And because it's not, it's not an organic process, it's not based um, in your biology malfunctioning, you, you can't. There is no pill for it. We really don't have medical treatments for PTSD. The only thing we have is one medication that addresses nightmares, but that's just one symptom of it. What you have to do is rewire your brain to go back to its normal functioning and to get out of emergency mode. Therapy is the best way to do this because you're going to have a professional walking you through that. And the problem with trying to do it alone or do it with someone who's not a professional is that you run the risk of overwhelming your brain again, re-traumatizing yourself. And the way that we heal from PTSD is through small, small, small doses of exposure. So that thing that you're trying to avoid, whether it's a thought, a feeling, a memory, an experience, a trigger, we expose you to it in very small doses with a lot of support and assistance. And we teach you coping skills to get through it in the moment and re-regulate your nervous system. And that builds up the strength of your nervous system and realigns it toward healthy functioning. Yeah. Now, a lot of people hear this and remember avoidance is a, a hallmark of PTSD and they go, heck no, do I want to be exposed to my trauma? And I appreciate that. I can totally understand where that knee-jerk reaction comes from. Um, but at the end of the day, that is the way that we rewire the nervous system. And I, I like to use the analogy of uh, exercising and weightlifting. If you have a body that is physically not strong and not able to do things that you want it to do, what you need to do is to work out. And your immediate reaction is going to be, no, I don't want to. That's painful. It doesn't feel good. I have no desire to do that. And yet once you start doing it, your muscles get stronger. Your body adapts. You realize it is something you can do. And it builds on itself. Same way with your brain and your neural pathways. And we don't, we don't start big. We don't flood you and overwhelm you and make you think back through every single little last detail. Because we, we bring it up um, safely together in small doses and confined spaces and then teach you how to re-regulate your nervous system so that you're not just there with your memories and experiences all alone and overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. And I think that's, those are two of the biggest things, right? Like that you made me think of on one hand, um, like on one hand, uh, no, don't do it alone or with somebody who is not a professional, right? For mm -hmm. many reasons. <laughs> and traumatization yeah. being the big one that I'm happy you mentioned and that you almost can't, men can't not mention when you're talking about this stuff, right? Um, yeah. But then also, yeah, that the, 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 the fear, like even when they're ready and they're with a professional, it's that fear of not wanting to go there again and not knowing uh, if they can trust that person to not re-traumatize them. I think that's a really real feeling, a real, a very real fear. Um, and uh, yeah, anyway, I just wanted to say that because, uh, and I think it's hard for people to imagine how that happens and how mm -hmm. people are able to take them there safely. And yeah, um, that makes them hesitate, I think. 
100%. And that's your defense strategies kicking in saying, no, I've been here before. This is too painful. It overwhelmed me. I'm not doing that again. And sometimes just knowing that that's what's going on inside of you can help you to appreciate that. And what, one of the things that I teach my clients is to actually thank your body and your mind for the trauma responses. Thank you for alerting me that this is stressful, that this could be overwhelming, that this could be um, an emergency situation. You're doing your job, amygdala, and we appreciate you for it. Now, I'm gonna ask you to step down for a minute because I wanna work through this one. And really talking back to those parts of you because they're there to protect you and honoring that rather than villainizing that um, is a helpful way to move forward. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that's really helpful. And, mm -hmm. and what if people are really curious now and they want to educate themselves or maybe find you and connect with you? How do you feel about doing that? Yeah, a, a couple of ways. Um, I, I have a private practice here in Santa Monica, the way that, um, you know, psychologists are licensed here in the United States is that we can only see patients within our um, state where we're licensed. And I'm licensed in California, so I work with any patient who lives in California, uh, but I cannot work with patients in other states or other countries. Um, I have a private practice in Santa Monica, but right now, because of the COVID situation, it's all online. Um, so I, I see all of my patients virtually, which is cool because, you know, we can <laughs> see people from wherever we are, the comfort of our home that often makes people feel safer to explore their trauma, knowing that they don't have to get in their car and drive home after or go back to work after. Mm -hmm. um, but there are limitations. I do think sometimes the trauma work moves a little slower. Um, but yeah, you, you can find me in my private practice, uh, which is called Woven Together Trauma Therapy. And then I also have a trauma education platform called Traumastery. And this is a platform that a colleague and I started um, last summer, summer of 2020, in the midst of COVID, because we were really looking around saying, wow, this world is going through a trauma response right now. And people did not know what to do. Our referrals were through the roof. We had so many people seeking therapy because people just could not cope with what was going on between COVID and lockdown and the racial tension that we had here in the United States that we were all experiencing and becoming more aware of, it was just overwhelming people. And so we started a, a trauma education platform called Trauma Theory to really educate people about what is going on in your brain, in your body, in your mind in response to trauma, and then giving them practical things they could do um, to handle it. So that's, that's another place you can find me. And then I'm also on Instagram where I talk all about all things trauma um, and all things related to trauma. So not just PTSD and complex PTSD, but there's a number of different uh, disorders and conditions and experiences that can result from trauma that I talk all about on my Instagram. And that's um, at Dr. Megan Johnson. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Megan. I'm so excited about this conversation. I think it's really necessary and important and uh, as, as, they, as they all are, of course, but I was really excited for this one and, um, like extra, you know, and yeah. uh, thank you so much for, for shining light on all these different topics and answering all my questions and everyone's questions and, uh, and for being here with us. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure.